Lord, we thank you for your presence today. We thank you that we are coming before the Almighty God who made us, who made this world that we live. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. Please speak to us by your spirit. May you take your word and teach us from it in Jesus' name. So, well, uh, for those of you who uh, need reminding, for those of you who haven't heard so far, we're working through 1 Peter when I'm speaking on this in the morning. And so far in this letter, Peter has given us some glorious truths about our position in Christ as believers. I hope you will be edified, be excited about your salvation. God's done so much for us. Last time in the first part of chapter 2, uh, Peter told us to be hungry for the word, to be like newborn babies as they crave their mother's milk. And he told us how Jesus is the chief cornerstone of the church. And yet was rejected by them during his first coming. But that wasn't a surprise to God. It wasn't so like he had to have a plan B in operation because there's never been a plan B. Rejection of Jesus and his death on the cross was always the purpose of Jesus coming to earth. Because only that way could God offer us the salvation that we need. And today we're going to see how our obedience, that our obedience and our submission to God as believers will have an impact on how we live during our time on earth. And that affects every day, how we live each day. I guess submission is never a popular topic. We don't like being told what to do. We naturally like to do things our way. But if we take our faith seriously, we are to live out our submission to God, live out what he's told us to do in his word. This isn't a subjugation, it's a recognition of God's authority in our lives. So let's begin with uh, chapter 2, verses uh, 11 to 12. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So once again, we're reminded that Peter is writing to Christians, he says, beloved, and he addresses them, he begs them, on the grounds that they are sojourners and pilgrims. These are people on a journey, people who are not in their permanent home. And we need to recognize that as Christians, this world isn't our home. We'll be here for a few decades, but our permanent home is with the Lord. That will last eternity. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that means that we don't put our roots down here. The Greek word for sojourners means that they are living in a foreign country with no legal rights as citizens. 
children and worship pilgrims means that they are living in a place that is not their personal home. So for the Jewish believers being addressed here, they are to be separate, I guess, from the unbelieving non-remnant of Jewish people, but also from the Gentiles as well. And we as Christians today are equally strangers in the world. But the question is, do we live like it? For any here who don't know Jesus as their Savior, then this world isn't your home. They're right, this world is your home. But even then, if you don't know the Lord, there's still an eternal future beyond it. But that will come with God's judgment. And that too will be eternal. <laughs> so it's in the light of, or because of, our status as sojourners in the world that Peter gives us his instruction in verse 11 that we are to abstain from worldly or fleshly lusts that war against the soul. And the Greek word for war there is strategy, from which we derive our word strategy. Our enemy has a strategy to make war against our soul. It's not just a picnic we're wandering through, it's a battle. And that battle involves our personality and our very being. And Satan knows just where to aim his arrows to attack us. It's not, not difficult to envisage how fleshly lusts can war against the body that perhaps can lead to alcoholism, to drug abuse, to sexually transmitted diseases, and so on. But as serious as that is, it's even more serious when an eternal soul is at stake. And the fleshly lusts of the world are certainly not good for our souls. Satan will come with subtle words that sound so reasonable, but which lead to compromise and ultimately downright disobedience to God. He'll wear us down and cause trouble in our, in our walk with God to be compromised for the lusts of the world. On one occasion, the evangelist D.L. Moody said, I have more trouble with D.L. Moody than anyone else that I know. And I think if you're honest, it's worth saying that. You know the inner problems that we have. God wants us to put those lives. He alone needs our cooperation. And if we succumb to, to sinful appetites, then we will end up living like the world and lose our lives. And then we lose our own with God. Sadly, the witness of many people is spoiled by worldly lusts, and people will see through that. In this passage, Peter doesn't clarify what these fleshly lusts are, but we do have a comprehensive list to Paul in Galatians chapter 5, where in verses 19 to 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, not bursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and 
bit of the elements than the way the elements are If you put something that isn't quite listed there, it just gets picked up in the air and the like. But which I'll tell you beforehand, just I also tell you in time past. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We've been hearing about the kingdom of God in the children's uh, talk about with the parables. And uh, if we're doing these sorts of wrong things, we're not going to be partake us the kingdom of God. And actually, uh, you know, I don't want to embark on a long discussion about what each of these fleshly activities is. It's a bit depressing, like me, as my topic today is peaceful populations. Um, but clearly, none of these things should be practiced by born again Christians. Now, I'm sure we all stick up on things at times, but that's not to excuse them because each sin offends God. And when we succumb to any sin, God calls us to repent and to return to him. <coughs> Peter says that these fleshly lusts war against the soul. And that highlights the conflict that we have been discussing within the world and the eternal destiny that's ours in Christ. And these deeds of darkness in sharp contrast with the fruit of the Holy Spirit that Paul sets out in the verses to follow in Galatians. Galatians 5, 22-23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no more. Just reading out that list, it, it just sounds wholesome in comparison with that list of other things. But that fruit should be reflected in our lives as we live for Christ. Not only is it important to realize that these fleshly lusts war against our soul, and they don't do anything good for us, but in verse 12, Peter talks about his readers' witness. Their conduct was to be honourable before the Gentiles who were the non-Jews. And the Greek word he uses to speak against in that verse can also mean slander, or to revile, to turn others against them. And then the word for evil doer implies a criminal. And it just puts it all into context when we understand what's behind the words. And the Gentiles might naturally look at the believing Jews and speak badly of them. But Peter calls the believer's behavior to be such that at least some of the Gentiles might believe in Jesus and give glory to God. I think it's fair to say that our behavior as Christians should be honorable before a watching woman as well. All that we do should bring honor to God and not form any form of discredit to his name. Outsiders of the church may not agree with what we believe. They might think we're mad, but they should be able to see from our behavior in the lifestyle that we have God and that we are an honest and genuine people. Even better if they can glorify God because of our obedience. Next section is in, in Peter 2, verses 13 and 16. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king.
king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishments of evildoers, for the praise of those who are good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish man, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for us, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and the king. And here Peter introduces the principle that, that the believers must honor the, the civil leadership in the nation. In his day, he speaks of the king, or, um, or the representatives carrying out the king's orders or commands. In our nation, we have queen, at the moment anyway, but the real power is vested in parliament, which acts on her behalf. And human governments are divine institutions appointed by God to maintain order in society and to punish evildoers. A good government uh, will protect its people and uphold the legitimate freedoms of the nation. And that should include religious freedom. When Peter wrote this letter, the government under which he lived was the Roman Empire. And that was an autocracy whereby the emperor's word was law. If he was having a bad day, he might issue a bad law. He started to do it. And the emperor at the time was Nero. He was someone who was mentally unstable and would eventually, before that long absolutely, he would martyr Peter along with many, many other Christians. Most of the population in the Roman Empire were slaves with few rights. But Peter still tells his readers to submit to the national government of the day. You may not necessarily like our government particularly. What we have is an answer better than Nero, whose word is law. And everything we do should be for God's glory, because we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ on this earth. An ambassador is required to reflect the views and the reputation of the state that he or she represents, and not push his own views. And as Christian pilgrims, we are away from our home country on this earth, because our home is in heaven. But here we are to be good ambassadors for Jesus Christ so that our behavior on his behalf should be exemplary. Here on earth, we are to be good, loyal citizens, submitting to what Peter calls the ordinance of the government. That includes paying your taxes. That includes obeying the speed limits, difficult though that may be at times. We may not like the political views but that's irrelevant because God is the one who raises up and deposes national leaders. There may be individual laws we don't like, and even some that are not, which are not good, sorry, which in good conscience we can't obey if they contradict God's word. But that shouldn't detract from our respect for the government. Sometimes we can't honestly respect the office holders of government. But we should respect the office. 
that it's God who raises up leaders. Psalm 75, 6 and 7 tells us, For exaltation comes neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts one down and exalts another. And Peter gives three reasons why we should submit to our government. First, it's the will of God that we do so. And actually, it would be enough for us to admit if it's God's will, we should do it. Second, almost as an addendum to number one, Peter says that by doing good, they will silence the ignorance of foolish men. We see a lot of foolish men and women today, many protesting and rebelling against the government. But as Christians, we are to be rightly submissive to God's appointed authority in our land, whilst at the same time not compromising our faith in God's word. And the ignorance that Peter speaks of refers, I think, to religious ignorance. In other words, these people don't understand the true nature of the faith. And the word for ignorance is the one from which we gain our word agnostic. So if you claim to be an agnostic today, you're actually saying, I'm an ignorant one. And third, they are to submit because they are one servants of God. We're free in Christ, yes, but that doesn't exempt us from submission to the law of the land or the government, nor is it an excuse for wickedness. We've been set free from bondage to sin, but in making that choice, through faith in Jesus, we willingly accept, accept becoming God's faithful servants. And that means that we submit to what God commands us to do. There are two examples in the book of Acts when the disciples did not obey the instructions from the governing authorities. The first one is in Acts 14, 18 to 20. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you or to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. On that occasion, Peter had been the instrument through which God had healed a lame man and had preached the gospel. And the Jewish leaders didn't like that. The second one is Acts 5, 29. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, you ought to obey God rather than men. That was after Peter and some other apostles had been released from the place of the angel. They were found preaching and teaching again in the temple. On both occasions, Peter and the others clearly put obedience to God before obedience to the authorities. And that was because the authorities had told them to do something that conflicted with God's word. But on both occasions, Peter and the others were respectful of the office of the authorities and were not being rebellious. And I think these are important principles for us to learn in these days when the government is introducing laws that are contrary to God's word and requiring of us things that we don't like. But we should still respect our national leaders for the office of the common. We are, as Christians, submitted to Christ. In broad terms, he tells us to be submitted to those who are in authority over us. And in verse 17, 
Peter gives us four quick-fire instructions to conclude the paragraph. First, he says, honor all people. I think that's because each person is made in the image of God. And because of that, they deserve our respect. Second, he tells them to love the brotherhood. And he uses the Greek word agape to love them. If you know anything about the Greek different words for love, that's the, that's the love of the will that God has for us. God chooses to love us. And we need to choose to love in the way that God does the same for us. The brotherhood would mean the Christian community. And we must fight to keep the church <coughs> as a place of love. Because the enemy will very quickly land attack that. Third, we must fear God. Hopefully, that should go without saying. But this is having a continuous reverence to God. And our walk with God will never flourish as it should without this. God is our Father. That is a huge privilege. But He's not our best mate. He is the Almighty God. He's the Holy God. And we are not. So therefore, we should fear God. And fourth, we have to honor the King. Whether that's a little king, a prime minister, a president, or whatever. Such a person is the supreme authority in our civil government. For that, for that reason, he or she deserves honour and respect. And in saying that in those quick fire things, Peter is reaffirming the respectful submission that he's been just been teaching about. And the final section in the chapter today is verses 18 to 25. For he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this commendable, if because of conscience toward God one endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, when you are beaten with evil thoughts, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, you take it patiently. This is commendable before God. For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example, that he should follow the steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit out of his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes he healed. For you were like sheep going astray, which have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And Peter addresses his servant, sorry, his readers here, as servants. And again, it urges a similar attitude for them of submitting to their masters. I think it's worth noting that when Peter spoke about bond servants back in verse 16, he used the word for slaves. But here in F18, this is a different word that has a, a meaning more of a domestic servant, uh, which would fit more in line with our employment context today. But employees should be rightly submitted to their employers or to their managers, whether they are good and gentle, as Peter describes them, or harsh. 
So once more, it's a case of respecting the position of the person at the survey. Perhaps in our day, we have the benefit of looking for another job if we don't like it. Um, it's rather more than was available in, in Peter's day. But God does allow challenges to come into our lives, sometimes at work, sometimes in families or wherever. And he, he brings these challenges to hone our character, to chip off the rough edges, and so produce Christian maturity. When these things happen, they have times when we, when we have to put up with being wronged. But that should be done with good grace and not with moaning or creating dissent among our co-workers. Our behaviour in challenging times should always be to be witnesses of Christ. And I know that's easier said than done. But that doesn't detract from its importance. And in verse 19, the if says, if, because of conscience, I don't know how much you know, but there are four different types of if in the Greek which come out of different structures. This one suggests it will happen. Yes, and it will happen. So, the enduring grief because of conscience will occur. It's not a case of it might happen. But in these times, a good conscience before God is more important than insisting on our rights. And when suffering comes, we should take it patiently. And people will notice how we respond. And it should always be for God's glory. A good witness for Jesus Christ is more important than our rights or our feelings. And then in verse 21, Peter says that we are called because Jesus suffered to suffer as well. Peter, Peter saw Jesus being mocked. He saw him being beaten. He knew Jesus was innocent. Peter also saw Jesus suffer, knowing that he had just denied Jesus himself. That would have taught him forcibly that taking up your cross for Jesus has a real bite for us. In our society, in our generation, there is great pressure to look out from the one. The whole advertising industry is rooted in encouraging people to satisfy themselves and their desires. The adverts on TV or the hoardings promote me. Whether it's good looks, whether it's a nice car, whether it's good clothes, or whatever. And it pushes the suggestion that we all deserve an easy and materially blessed lifestyle. I don't know about you, I think it's been struck recently by the number of adverts for various entertainment packages so that we can be amused for hours on end. But at the root of that is so that we don't have to think about matters that are important, such as what happens to us when we die. And those sort of things, that me centralness, is so foreign to the call of Jesus upon our lives. Because he's saying through Peter that suffering will come, just as it came to Jesus. And it will, um, it will come because we are followers of Christ. And of course, Jesus is our prime example of this. He's a pioneer. And we are told here to follow in his steps. And the word, for example, in verse 21, is found only here in the New Testament. 
It refers to the copy that is to be reproduced by a student as he seeks to replicate the original done by his master. Jesus is the original to be copied by us, the novices, and by the classes disciples. That's all of us if we take to be Christians. And then Peter quotes in verse 22 from Isaiah 53, verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich, that is death, because he has done no violence, nor has any deceit in his body. Jesus was entirely innocent of any sin. The charges made against him were fabricated and false. Yet he was willing to suffer and die for us because he knew it was God's will for him. He knew it was the only way that we could be saved, and for that we will be eternally grateful. There was no deceit in Jesus' mouth. Just that crucial in these days of lies and pretense, false teaching, fake news. What occurs even in the church as well as the world. Jesus taught extensively in those three and a half years of his ministry. But isn't it so reassuring to know that what he taught is true? There was no pretense in him. There could be no pretense in him. No deceit in what he taught. So we can rely upon what Jesus taught as genuine, God-given truth. Jesus didn't rebel against his suffering. Even when he was reviled, he didn't respond with pride. When he suffered, he didn't threaten. He could have called upon legions of angels to crush his enemies, but rather he committed himself to his father, God, knowing that God will judge righteously. And one day, all that sinful will be dealt with. And when we suffer, we too can entrust our situation to God. Actually, he's far better at resolving those difficult issues than we are. And then, verse 24, we find the pinnacle of Jesus' sufferings because he bore our sins in his own body on the tree on the cross. Jesus didn't merely die for us, Satan threw all the cruelty that he could muster at Jesus so that it was an excruciating experience. But then on the other side of the coin, even God the Father poured out his wrath against sin in his own beloved son. So that our sins could be fully dealt with and pushed away. Can you imagine the, the spiritual pressure on Jesus at that time, apart from the physical pain? We can hear the words, but can we truly take in what Jesus went through for us so that every true Christian can be the eternal beneficiary of Jesus' unending love against the cross? And the fruit, the outcome of Jesus' death on the cross is that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. And that's a response that's far greater than merely just accepting Jesus and then carrying on with life as if nothing had happened. If we're going to follow Jesus and receive the blessings of God's forgiveness, 
and that means dying to self, dying to sin, and living for righteousness. And this ties in with what Peter's been, he's been saying earlier, of living righteously in the world, avoiding the lusts of the flesh, and being rightly respectful of God's appointed authority. If we're living for righteousness, we will want to live a consistent Christian life, rooted, grounded in God's word, such that we can It's by his stripes that we're healed. This is the context that's probably more spiritual than physical, but based on sometimes it's physical as well. The chapter closes with verse 25. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Sheep are silly animals. They could be silly disciples of this couple. Sheep need to be looked after by their shepherd because they are most animals and they are most defenseless. And sheep are usually kept for the shepherd's benefit. And where that involves meat, then the sheep die for the shepherd. But then Jesus, as the ultimate good shepherd, became the Lamb of God who died for the sheep. So that they might live. That means that we might live. Jesus came to Israel as the good shepherd at a time when those who should have been their shepherds as religious leaders were falling far short of what God required. But having died and of course risen again, Jesus is able to be the best shepherd to all believers, caring for them, feeding them, giving good posture, and fighting off predators. But the word here used for an overseer this verse, it's usually used to refer to, to church leaders. It's often translated as a bishop or overseer. But this is the only place where it's used of Jesus. And I think that raises the bar somewhat for uh, human church leaders because we're to be like him. No wonder we need the Holy Spirit's help. But what a reassurance for us it is that we have Jesus as the ultimate carer and overseer of the souls. We are truly safe in him. We couldn't have safer hands for ourselves. Peter's covered quite a lot of ground in this passage today. A good deal of it is practical, as he urges us to remember our temporary journey on this earth, to avoid the fleshly lusts of the world. He's told us to be good citizens and church members, as we are rightly submitted to those in authority over us. He's called us to righteous living. And then he's reminded us of the supreme sacrifice that Jesus made in giving his life for us. And in the light of that, surely any suffering that comes our way on this earth is worth it, given the amazing future that we have ahead of us as Jesus promised. But what we go through here on earth is the worst bit of our existence, the best is yet to come. We have very, very good news in the gospel. We have great cause to rejoice in our wonderful Saviour. It does mean that we're essentially to follow him day by day.
that's yesterday. That's rejoicing. Let's be so full of the love of the Lord that people will notice the difference. Well, we thank you for this passage. It's got some challenges in it. There may be bits that jam us a bit that we don't like. But it's your word. Lord, help us to live for Christ in the days that we have on earth. Help us to be more, to put away the flesh in us, to put on the righteousness of Christ, to enjoy the glories of our salvation. To realize the immense cost to you and to Jesus. And to live in gratitude for all that you've done for us. We ask this in the name.